Welcome to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay. A podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. I'm Kaylee Legrand. And I'm sick. Oh wait, my Tanya Bevan. (laughs) Mrs. Sniffles and I get to take a look at the interview we held with Samita Nandi, who runs the Center for Media and Celebrity Studies. We had a really interesting conversation that actually spurred us off afterwards talking about our own branding and how we position ourselves in our industries. I guess that also includes the podcasting industry now, but we take a look at it for ourselves more so as actors. Mm -hmm. And what stood out to us a lot, both during and after our conversation with Samita, was this idea about the hero and hero worshipping. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. That's all I have. Oh, that's, that's all you put on your notes? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. interesting. We took um, notes as we listened back to our interview, and, and Tanya's notes say, hero, interesting. Actually, no, hero worshipping. <laughs> hero worshipping. Interesting, dot, dot, dot. Which Samita actually gets into, but we had a couple of thoughts on that. <laughs> <coughs> Tanya, what do you think about hero worshipping? Um, well, I mean, being an actor, you have people you look up to, but... Is there somebody who you always looked up to and maybe is one of the reasons why you got into the industry? Nah, I just liked telling stories. I don't, I don't, I was never a worshipper. So, what, what does worshipping make you feel like when you hear that, when you hear the almost idea cultish, of... Almost cultish, almost like you're following something. Like, for instance, like the Kardashians. Like, how many people worship the fucking... How many people worship the land? You're trying not to swear. I'm not going to edit that out. You're a trucker. We already know it. Our audience already knows it. So, yeah, the fucking Kardashians. Yeah, like, for instance, like, how much are they worshipped by young and old women and men who want to, like, lick the ground they stand on? I, to me, that's what worship is, but... I have never seen... Do they have a show? Is there, there's a show. There's, like, spin-offs of spin-offs of the Kardashian shows. I know them because they're so big now, I guess, because... So they're brand! Is, well, yeah, absolutely. They have a very... That's the funny thing, is that when you say Kardashian, I can see what that brand is. I, yeah. there, there are images that are brought to mind, and I have an idea of how I feel about what they stand for or what a Kardashian is. Yeah. But it's so funny that, like, even the fact that I'm saying what a Kardashian is, like, like I'm talking about them as if they are a product. Yeah. Because they are. Pretty much. They're a product of the way the media constructs them and the way their audiences consume them. And it's an interplay between them two. Which also is really funny. That goes to a different thing she talked about which was the differences of fames as well. Yeah. And I found really interesting. What was it? There's the merit fame on talent. There was success fame. Um, what was it? Uh, legacy fame, money fame. Yeah, she talks fame. about these differences between, like, meritocracy, which is when we 
value people based on their merit um, and bleeds into the conversation about hard work. She talks Mm -hmm. about the fact that, uh, especially in, in North America, there is such value placed on the idea of hard work um, and the idea of being able to achieve your dreams or achieve that American dream. Um, I don't know what the equivalent of that is in Canada, but like to achieve the American dream that anybody has an opportunity when you come to the quote unquote land of opportunity, no matter where you come from, you can build yourself up and make something out of yourself based on hard work, based on your own merits and digging into whatever your aspirations are yeah as opposed to these other ideas of I think she calls them accidental accidental actresses yeah I think I think I wrote that down in some of my notes somewhere in here this idea where the celebrity culture has stemmed so far away from what it used to be Hollywood film actors and is now open to the likings of people what are they the idea of famous fans is stuck in my head famous like that is now a potential celebrity figure a famous fan what does that even mean I feel like that's an oxymoron but it's a really cool thing to think about you don't have to be a Hollywood film actor in order to become a celebrity or a public figure in that sense You can become an Instagram model and use other sorts of technology that's available to us now that elevates you to another level of having followers. We literally understand the term followers differently than they used to. Yeah. So is fame just a cult? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good word to explain it. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely what this the same oh what was it I was recently listening to a podcast from NPR I think it was one of the TED Talks series and it was about manipulation like manipulation of the way that we see the world manipulating our minds manipulating literally our memories as well um, and one of the guest speakers was talking about how Our world is so different today because of the technology that we have and the social media platforms that we communicate on, and we don't live the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. We are being manipulated to like the corners of our lives, the way that we live our lives by these big media companies, by platforms like Instagram and Snapchat and uh, God, you name it. However you like, even just listening to this podcast Whoever's listening to my voice right now would not be listening to it if we didn't have these technologies available. Yeah. But the speaker was also talking about the dangers that are the dangers that live within that sort of society, how dangerous it can be to not live in an organic way anymore and to be controlled by these big businesses. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously a defense that you can choose not to be on the social media platforms, but advertising and branding and all of the magic that goes into the same things that create celebrity culture (laughs) go into being able to pull people into a world I guess in 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 a way that they don't want to that's like FOMO they don't want to miss out on what's happening yeah being able to pull teenagers onto these social media platforms very much so here's like back to the way that cults are run the guy who was speaking about it actually studied cults and said that 
one of the commonalities he found was that in order to pull somebody into a cult, you pull their friends into the cult. And if all your friends are living there, aka if they're all living on Snapchat, are you going to stay away if that's where your community exists? So I think cult is the perfect word to describe celebrity cultures. Mm -hmm. It's in the word culture. That's literally culture. Yeah. It's weird. Anyway. <laughs> Anywho. That's going to be my one cool thing, actually, that episode. Okay. You have a really cool, cool thing no, to share. It's not we'll wait cool. until I think it's cool. You brought it as a cool thing, so it's got to be a cool thing. You know what I think your cool thing is? What? The nasally voice you're bringing to this like episode. like Phoebe Buffay. Smelly cat. Is that, oh my god, I forgot I Phoebe's it. last name. I remember Smelly Cat, absolutely. Yeah. That is her persona. One what episode where she just wants to be sick all the time because she has her sexy voice. I know. Do you ever do that when you get sick? Do you just like sing songs and think you're sexier? Oh no, I hate the sound of my voice when like I don't listen to it. Oh right, me neither. Phoebe <laughs> <Yeah>. Buffet. <laughs> right, so back to hero worshipping. Yes. Sorry, we went for a loop there. So Samita actually talks about the work she does in, in trying to alleviate that sense of hero worshipping and actually understanding celebrities in their natural habitat as human beings, God forbid. <laughs> I think that's a particularly necessary study these days because of how extreme we've gotten with hero worshipping and the way oh, that it's yeah. bleeding into our lives. But I also think that it's probably the most challenging industry where we could try to tease it apart. I say that because I think it's meta on our level. We talk about hero worshipping in the sense that celebrities have fans or cults around them in a sense. Mm -hmm. But the idea of a hero is something that we perpetuate with stories. If you think about films, if you, that, if you think yeah. about the projects we work in, yeah. Most of them have this protagonist that is the quote-unquote hero going on the journey. Yeah. And that is the story that we're telling. And we serve that story. So are we dooming ourselves? Um, no. Are we perpetuating that? Are we part of the problem that creates such hero worshipping? I want to say yes and no. I think society also is perpetuating this hero worshipping in a sense of look at Instagram, Snapchat, even now Facebook has stories. What are you doing right now? You can see exactly what someone's doing in the midst of pressing on that little bubble that says, so-and-so has a new story. God, it's everywhere. That's not even celebrity worshipping. It's just almost just social worshipping. But it's, you're right. Those are the same sorts of words that are so prevalent in our line of work story is literally my god yeah that is what i live for i live for story i serve story as an actor as a writer as a producer as a filmmaker as creators we tell stories and i think the word story and the ideas that go along with telling story like the hero's adventure yeah i feel like those terms kind of got picked up and adopted and extrapolated into other industries. They, they became buzzwords, especially for marketers, because marketers are also storytellers in a, a very weird way. I Not to, like, the, the job of a marketer is extremely, 
extremely difficult and I don't want to downplay it at all. And I've had my share of time in the world of PR and communications. And I remember being so afraid of even going in de- going down the path of PR as opposed to journalism because we were warned all throughout J school that it was the devil side that was the dark side if you go to PR that means you're just looking for the money and you're just trying to sell eyeballs and you're not actually following the integral that artistic vow I guess you could say that journalists take in in just being truth seekers and truth tellers we're not manipulating the story to win over audiences we're just telling a truth and I think that's what I still find with acting that's why I came back to acting because I started to get a taste of that truth. No, the the dark side when I started um. getting into the world of marketing. And it was more about trying to gain those eyeballs than telling a truthful story. Yeah. It was learning how that psychology worked and then using it against, not against, yeah, see, it sounds dark. Like this, I don't mean any disregard to people who work in the realm of marketing, but that's how it's coming out of my mouth right now, so I'm going to stop talking about it. <laughs> well, yeah, so um, when it comes to worshipping, responsibility and how it lies on them, that really rung in my ear as in, do we? Like, yeah, that's a really weird thought. And how is that fair to them, how they want to live their own lives, and then now everyone has these expectations of how they should be living their own life? Okay, since this is before... This is pre-interview, so audience members don't know what we're talking about yet. But oh, oh, should we... Explain uh, Explain what you mean by that. What do you mean? How... So you were talking about how audiences... Samita speaks about this idea where audiences almost put their own responsibilities onto celebrities or public figures. Yeah. Because they hold high expectations. Yes. from them high expectations and standards and a way of upholding themselves in society it's absolutely true but it's such a weird notion because we do take a look at what's going on not just in our well especially in our industry it's not just in our industry but it's um again i think kind of more prevalent mainly because it's media and that is our industry right there is media and it's always on tv yeah the Hashtag Me Too and um, Times Up Times Up movement, especially with having had the Golden Globes completely overtaken this year, which was such a cool thing to see. I'm yeah, really cool. sure it was an incredible energy to have been in the room, but it's so wide-reaching right now, and maybe it's not only more prevalent in our industry because of those expectations and responsibilities that seem to get projected onto public figures or celebrities. But these public figures and celebrities also have a louder platform to speak to these issues and ideas. Yeah. So I, for one, am happy that we're finally having such an open dialogue about the sorts of activities that have been going on, the inequalities that exist in our industry and other industries yeah no i mean in that sense of responsibility i think it's a big thing but in the smaller things in life you know what do you feel about that line between 
if you have a bigger platform, if you are a celebrity figure, do you think it is your responsibility to speak about issues that maybe other people don't have voice for? That's such a gray area because I want to say yes, but I also want to say no because they have their own personal lives and maybe they just don't want to get involved in it, you know? Yeah, but what about you? What do you mean? I mean... What do you mean me? Like if I were... Well, we started this podcast because we wanted to create more space for conversation. Yes. About... Things that if, were stigmatized. If you're an advocate for what you're talking about, yes. But I mean, there are certain celebrities that are going through heat right now because they're not speaking up about certain things that are happening in, in the media today. The whole Harvey Weinstein thing and, and the Kevin Spacey thing. There are people who are being slandered because they're not speaking up. There's a reason why they're not speaking up. And do we as a public have a right to know? No, I don't think so. That's their own personal stuff but some people think it's their responsibility to speak up did you see the article in the new york times a couple days i think it was like just before the golden globes um where they basically said the same thing to meryl streep and tom hanks who just finally did a film together oh, thank so god i know it's Spielberg, like the three of them how like Talk about expectations. All right. Anywho, but the interviewer called him out on the fact that everybody, since this movement has started, everybody has been looking towards them and waiting for what Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks have to say about this movement and allegations. So that was the first time that I ever read their sort of their responses to it. And God, they danced around it. They were but good. Then, not not like they did. They did give their opinion, but yeah. they were also very PC about what they said because they're not normally also, outspoken that's politically. That's what I was just about to say. Is they are not. Those two especially are not outspoken political people. They aren't. They aren't the um, Jennifer Lawrence's of of Hollywood. They are very the Natalie Portmans. Yeah, you know, like Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep. Catherine Zeta-Jones, those are the actors that I, I don't even want to say worship, because I don't worship them. I think they're amazing people, and they're there to do their talent, they're there to do their job, they're telling their stories. Why does it matter if they don't want to be involved in this movement? It may ruin their career if they say one wrong thing. Look what happened to Matt Damon. What did he say? Um, I, I think it was Matt Damon. He was on some night show saying how he just said something along the lines of there has to be... Raping someone and touching someone's butt aren't the same thing. So he says, uh, you know, in a sense of... I, like he was trying to contextualize something? I don't want to say contextualize, but he was getting slandered because he wasn't saying, yeah, it's the same thing. Sexual abuse is sexual abuse. Yes, it is. Uh, but there's a difference between raping someone and grazing someone's ass. That's what he's saying, is how is someone being contextualize on the same thing if they're doing two completely different acts. Yes, they're both sexual harassment, mind you. But uh, one is much more higher than the other on, on a standpoint. You know what I mean? I'm going to have to Google that. If I can find I a, a source for it, I'll put a uh, link in the show notes. But on the flip side, take a look at the kind of flack that, say, Natalie Portman gets for being so outspoken politically. Not even just her, but other celebrity figures or people who may have um, started to see a little bit more limelight as actors as opposed to political figures or or in in roles as activists right 
they get a lot of flack saying that they don't necessarily have a place to say that because they're quote unquote just actors. Why are they trying to speak to political points and become activists when it's not their place? Yes. So they get flack too. You get flack no matter what, especially when you're in the limelight. So, sorry, I'm going to go back to Matt. That Matt Damon has drawn headed criticism for his comments on ABC's Popcorn in which he said all men accused of sexual harassment and assault shouldn't be lumped together because there's a spectrum of behavior. So he got backlash for that. Now I don't even know where my point was. I can understand why there would be backlash for that. However, I also think he has a point because it's, I think it's dangerous to generalize or lump together these sorts of tricky scenarios, these very delicate situations of course it's going to invite backlash because they're not the same thing. I I think that you're risking creating pain in somebody's life if you ever try to compare anybody's situation like that to another person's because that's just a very particular pain. And they're they're risking. That's going back to loop with the whole Tom Hanks and... Yeah. They're not risking that because that's what could happen. And yet audiences are pushing to hear what they have to say. And why does it matter? Because society thinks that we have a right to know everything. That's what I don't get with this whole responsibility thing that she goes on to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. You get put on the chopping block as soon as you step into the limelight. People do expect to know what your opinion is on things. They expect that you have godlike morals. They, They hold you up to a higher light. Yeah. That's scary. It is so, and and it's so easy these days, especially to have something being taken out of context and spun. Yeah. Especially, again, going back to the social media and what kind of platforms we have nowadays. All those accusations on Twitter. Boom. One night, overnight, 30,000 likes for one thing you say can ruin someone's fucking career nowadays. It's crazy. Or make it. You can make or break. Like, the kind of activity... Everything happens very fast these days. Yeah. Technology has sped life up, but it has also sped up this process of creating a celebrity or a public figure. Yeah. Yeah. Overnight, you can can become purple rain. No, sorry. Chocolate rain. You can become chocolate chocolate rain. Overnight. Um, I was just talking with Mike the other night about how... um, George Lucas... I was just talking the other night uh, with Donis about the fact how Lucas has apparently decided to go off and make films that nobody's ever going to see. He's just making art for the sake of art, which is a cool idea. I that's great. Um, but we collectively decided that must mean that Lucas is the secret director of Chocolate Rain. More than likely, that's true. I mean, it's pretty close to Star Wars. so real. It's fantastic. <laughs> I feel like on that note, we'll get back to a serious conversation. We God, we went from... Very serious conversation, dark topics, sensitive topics to chocolate rain. Uh, Don't know how we did that. On that note, let's bring it over into our interview with Samita. Yes. Ding! (laughs) 
first of all, thank you for inviting me. My name is Samira Nandi, and I run the Center for Media and Slavery Studies, which is an international organization. It's a research network that coordinates academic research and media commentaries on fame. And we're particularly interested in celebrity activism for human rights, animal rights, and environmental ethics. And uh, your podcast is very interesting. It raises a lot of social, cultural, and psychological issues, and I'm really excited to talk about them today. We're excited to have you here too, uh, especially because it's interesting to hear what is happening, um, not necessarily at the center of the entertainment industry, but to have somebody who is able to reflect from a different angle and, and talk about it in a very analytical way. So maybe you can start us off by, by telling us what a day in the life looks like for you. What what is a nine to five if you have uh, some sort of typical routine for yourself? What we offer is a context-based understanding for fame-based practices. So like, you know, why do celebrities do what they do and not just exactly what they're doing? I think that's what tabloid press is really interested in, where they're going, what they're eating. You know, they're interested in what they're doing, whereas we talk about why they're doing what they're doing. And so my daily job entails shedding light on that. And uh, what we do, essentially, we organize media conferences. We're turning them into press conferences. We have an associate press. We publish books. And uh, we offer interviews. And uh, we basically make uh, research available to a wide range of public. And uh, it's not limited to academics. Uh, we include public intellectuals, critics, um, also actors like you. Um, we want to hear, we want to give voice to a wide range of people, you know. Uh, and it's not about just fans consuming celebrities. It's, all ab it's also about fans, you know, constructing celebrities, how they understand celebrities, why they do what they do. And it's really about engaging and mobilizing public opinion, giving a voice, giving a platform. And it's not just about hero worshiping, because in doing that, we shift our responsibilities. We shift our ethical responsibilities to actors uh, who becomes famous, or you know, if, if we're talking about uh, pop singers, if we're talking about famous hockey players, what we often do, we shift our own responsibility to them and we idolize them and we expect them to carry on a lot of um, ethical, artistic tasks that we can do as well. And I strongly believe that every person has a purpose and they have a lot to contribute. And of course, we are inspired by a lot of celebrities, um, but I would really like to see you know everybody in an inspirational and motivational position and, and contributing to the society, just like we see them contributing to us through entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, first question that popped into my head when you started talking about conferences and interviews, and um, for instance, if you were to have an actor, somebody like us come into a conference my initial thought would be, are you studying us? Would it be like a psychological study where we get sat on this hot plate and we answer questions about uh, what is happening psychologically? What are you trying to untease or what do you analyze? What sorts of questions would you ask a uh, public figure who might be coming onto a panel? 
I guess I would ask the same question that you asked me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, what does your daily life look at? We're, we're interested in practices, fame-based practices, or practices that are related to fame. So whether you're famous or not, a lot of times what happens is that you find yourself in media spaces that you share with other celebrities. Like, if you're interviewed... Uh, for a magazine, uh, which happens a lot to me. I'm interviewed for magazines or television programs. I am in media spaces that I share with them. And a lot of times people conflate the two, you know, the, the private spaces, the public spaces, especially media spaces. And uh, they, you know, they consider uh, public personalities equivalent to celebrities. But I think we have to we have to step back and we have to not risk ourselves doing that because at the end of the day um, you know they're all doing a job you know they're all working they're giving us service you know and I think when we sensationalize them um, then you know we're not exactly looking at we're not looking at them as a human being and their wellness or you know their social psychological issues. Um, so I'll just go back to your question. Um, if we were to have you as a panelist, you know, if we were to interview you, we would be more interested in the settings that you work in, in the context that you operate in. Uh, what is your driving force, and uh, what are you contributing? Um, we won't necessarily turn you into a case study like you know uh, celebrities, <laughs> you know, yeah. often face. You know, uh, they're they're analyzed a lot, um, especially in, in tabloid media. I mean, for for reasons of sensationalization. You know, like um, I think they're really um, I don't know they're really objectified a lot. So yeah, would you say that it would be beneficial? It would be useful to have a celebrity, somebody who has gone through the process of I don't know. I guess you could say starting off as a normal human being, uh, I hate to use the words, but like a normie, and then turning into a celebrity, have, do you think it would be useful to have somebody surrender their life and say, go ahead and study me and poke me and prop me and, and analyze psychologically what I have gone through to understand it? Or have you already had the ability to essentially follow somebody's path to see what that looks like psychologically for them? Um. Well, I guess, you know, we do encourage uh, slavery study scholars to look at uh, biographical accounts, uh, not just um, data from the press, but also biographical accounts and, you know, life writings and, and, again, you know, look at the context in which they operate. I think that's what's missing in tabloid media, the context, the social, cultural, political context in which we construct, we understand, and we consume, and we distribute them. So we have to restore those contexts and a lot of them are just very personal so again I, I would encourage looking at those contexts and if you know a celebrity would like to offer himself or herself you know as a case study I mean that's that's up to them I mean they do work with PR agencies they have their managers and uh, we have to understand that fame is is a complex process it's, um, it's an interplay between the celebrity, the media, businesses, and audiences. So it's not really up to one particular 
uh, person or, or organization. It's really a complex process. It's an interplay that's happening. So um, in one way or another, uh, they're all associated, you know, with this particular practice. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but uh, feel free to... Um, you know, clarify any area you want. Uh, this is like, I mean, it is complex. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, and which is why I'm looking for ways to find, um, I guess, simple analogies. And the most vivid picture that keeps popping in my head is actually having getting a celebrity and putting them in a little test tube, and then being able to conduct all the experiments. Very oversimplified, and definitely not something that could ethically be <laughs> laid out today. But what would you say, because it is such a complex structure, uh, the realm of celebrity or the culture of celebrity, would you say that the culture of celebrity has changed much over even your time in the industry studying it? Um, or maybe can you pinpoint a time from the past where the culture of celebrity was different from how it plays out today? It's, def it's definitely different because in the past, we considered film stars as celebrities. That's where the history of celebrity comes from. It comes from the Hollywood film industry and you know, actors becoming famous. We had a very limited studio system. Uh, it was all very controlled. And in the last 10 years, with the rise of the internet, now we have online celebrities. Uh, we have a lot of uh, fans who construct themselves as celebrities. So the dynamics have changed. Um, there's a whole paradigm shift within um, celebrity culture, how we understand them and how we you know, perceive ourselves and a lot has to do with visibility. I think what we're really putting a lot of attention to is visibility and we consider that as a cultural capital. You know, the more visibility we have, we feel that you know, we're more credible and we're legitimate legitimized we we sort of naturalize that process whereas in reality it's just a media construction that's really what a celebrity is it's a media construction in cultural studies we consider them as texts and this would be very different from what the public understands as text you know it's not a textbook but it's a, it's a system of science really so from a semiotic point of view it's a system of science and and they carry meaning and um, and you know, uh, when, when we study a celebrity, we, again, we, we consider those uh, meanings and how they are constructed and they're understood in certain contexts. That's very different from what the public would consider and, you know, they, they objectify them, you know, they, they, they use them for, for gratification, for pleasure, um, they're really objectified, you know, whereas we want to see the person behind the celebrity, and I think it really addresses a lot of the psychological issues that you're interested in, which is very important because that's not what we really see in tabloid media. Mm -hmm. I've got a question. Yeah. So, studying these celebrities, do you find a lot of them have similar things in common? Like, things that, you know, like celebrities, there's something they're doing to get to that point of fame. Like, do you think there's a common... Like, the sense? people themselves? Yeah. Like, in, in, in a psych psychological way, like, is there something that connects them 
to celebrityism. Like, would you be able to pinpoint who is going to rise to become a celebrity this day and age? Yeah, I guess, but I don't know if, I don't know. Um, that makes sense. If I understand correctly, you're asking, head. is there some sort of commonality amongst those subjects who do become yes. celebrities that you found through your studies? So what we identify, uh, we identify a couple of things. So um, there is, there are different kinds of fame. Mm -hmm. There is um, what we call meritocratic fame, which is based on merit. And that's what I like to consider, um, merit, uh, talent, hard work. Um, there is a myth in the Hollywood film industry and in the larger media culture that uh, there is a bit of luck, there is success, of course uh, there is. Um, a lot of times, you know, like if you meet somebody by chance, you know, and um, you have opportunities to um, rise to fame, that happens with a lot of accidental actresses and models, that happens too. Uh, what, what that... Um, what, what the media in particular wants to show that they want to show uh, rack to riches stories. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to portray those. And um, also in an in an American culture, we also want to show like how you know hard work gives results. Mm -hmm. So I think at the end of the day, whether you're lucky or not, uh, we you know we do recognize the efforts of hard work. Um, I think any actor, singer, athlete has to work hard. Um, sometimes that gets missed out in in online fame. You know, like if you are buying likes and followers, and there are a lot of apps out there, that whole you know hard work, um, whether it's portrayed as a myth or not, uh, while you know developing these racks to riches stories, sometimes that hard work gets missed out. And I think we want to restore, you know, this heroic sense of success, you know, this, mm -hmm. this notion of heroism, you know, which, which we had in, in the Greek era, the Roman era, and that's where celebrity studies really initiate. That's where it would go back to. Mm -hmm. You know, what we had in the Greek era and the Roman era and, and the heroism that we had. Where is that heroism? And we want to restore, you know, those heroic efforts and, and merit-based talent. And, and we do have, you know, a kind of fame that is, that is uh, meritocratic talent. There's also, um, there's also uh, you know, fame that is based on legacy. Um, aristocracy, uh, there's royal fame, you know, there are all kinds of fame. So I think what the public really needs to understand that there's no um, single kind of fame, there are different kinds of celebrity cultures and there are different kinds of fame out there. And, um, and, and hard work is ultimately what we value, that's what we want to see. And it's very hard. That's why we call mm -hmm. it hard work. Right? Mm -hmm. What they all share in common, whether they do hard work or not, is branding. So that's something celebrity studies also looks at. They look at branding and the development of a persona. Persona is not necessarily 
separate from you know the actual personality it just carries specific traits that the that the celebrity would like to identify with or would like his or her fans like to identify with so if there's a certain fashion um, you know a certain kind of food or what kind of shopping they do you know if they want to portray that you know um, they would just focus on that in their persona or you know again I'm going back to fashion again you know like mm -hmm. um, you know if they have some quirky style <laughs> you yeah. know um, then that's what they would focus on it doesn't mean that you know that's not entirely them there are other aspects to that person mm -hmm. but those are elements that they, they fold into their branding yeah. essentially yes okay. yes and and that's what most celebrities would have in common is branding and the persona that plays a role in that branding. It's interesting when, when you talk about these rags to riches stories and looking at celebrities as texts and the idea that um, they may have they may have played characters and uh, built part of their image through the fashion that they wear or the food that they're eating um, and everything lends itself semiotically to the building of what this narrative looks like and we understand them through these representations. The What I'm wondering is that these these ideas of like this heroic tale and the rags to riches story and, and being able to live the dream through the hard work it pays off, it sounds like sounds very similar to a Western ideology of um, being able to fulfill a dream if you do if you're the underdog you yeah. can it, it almost makes me think uh, I, I hate to say it because I, I would love to keep this a very Canadian podcast but that American dream being able to start from nothing land in the land of America and build yourself up um, is there any do you see a, a tie between maybe the political realm when it comes to these sorts of stories uh, that might be tied to countries or specific geographical areas and the way that these texts are developed for celebrities? Yeah, and that's what my book talks about, fame, oh, wow. fame in Hollywood North, and it talks about Canadian fame. But I'll go back to the Wild West in Hollywood, mm -hmm. and um, Canadian fame and the cultural space in which Canadian slavery culture is built, it's not too different from um, the Wild West frontier in Hollywood. And basically, um, there's a... You know, again, there is that sense of hard work and, you know, escapism, you know, that is uh, playing in, in that cultural space. And uh, what L.A. did um, some years ago is that, you know, they had the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And uh, they did that for economic development. There was a lot of poverty there. There were a lot of unemployed people and uh, young people, you know, who had drugs. And there were a lot of social problems. And for economic development, they had Hollywood Walk of Fame. And now they, they constructed that whole area as a, as a tourist area. And they're making profit out of there. When you go to Hollywood Walk of Fame, you don't see stars there, but you see symbols of stardom. Mm -hmm. And 
those are cultural artifacts that we find in most celebrity cultures, right? So it's very interesting, and that's uh, that's an evidence to show that, you know, um, a celebrity is not necessarily a person. It is a media construction. So when you go to Hollywood Walk of Fame, and it's the same with Canada's Walk of Fame, you see cultural artifacts. And uh, Hollywood is very interesting because you see cultural artifacts everywhere. You see mm -hmm. the sign of Hollywood, and um, you know you see um, all those uh, you know embedded you the know star stars. You know yeah. you step on it, you take photographs, and uh, <laughs> I think the cover of my phone. Oh, you can't see it under. Yeah. Well, this is Toronto. Thankfully, there's still the Canadian side of me. But I, when I was last in LA, I took a picture of James Dean's star. And he's somebody that I would not be able to have any kind of connection with because he's passed now. But yeah, his star still exists there. And for somebody who never knew him, can still go and feel an attachment. Yeah, and what those cultural artifacts are doing, they are transferring meanings of immort immortality, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, we want to be immortal, you know, we want to live forever, like many of us think that way. And so what, you know, these cultural artifacts are doing, and, and I would consider, you know, the celebrity as a cultural artifact in itself because it is a media construction, it has this notion of, um, you know, immortality, you know, we're immortals, you know, we are, you know, we're there forever. And it is something we look up to, you know, we, we dream of that. So that's a dream that Hollywood is selling. It's a dream machine. That's why it's called a dream machine. Yeah. Because it's selling that dream, right? It's a, it's a myth. It's a myth. And uh, just coming back to Canada, um, what I found through my research is not too different from other celebrity cultures. Uh, the difference is the national context in which the celebrity is constructed. So um, this, you know, we often find uh, Canadian celebrities associated with symbols of the Great White North. For example, beavers and mounties and polar bears and ice, snow, coal, slush, Tim Hortons, <laughs> maple leaf, you know. I mean, there's so many examples to show how Canadian celebrities are represented and you might leave it at that point. You might think that's a representational uh, scheme, you know, and uh, we're donation branding here. Uh, something that was very interested, uh, sorry, interesting in my case study is uh, Canada's Walk of Fame and, you know, looking at uh, Michael J. Fox and Shania Twain. And um, Shania Twain had more Mounties than herself. Same with Michael J. Fox. Shania T Twain was just one person, but she had six Mounties with her, which raises the question, are we celebrating the star or, or are we celebrating the nation? We are not about the fame of the celebrity. We're about the fame of the nation. We're using the stars to popularize the nation. Mm. In relation to America, you know, we're always constructing mythic narratives that were better than America. At the same time, we have an inferiority complex that, you know, we're not that good as America. So how do we resist that? So we have a cultural space of the Great White North. 
which doesn't really exist. You know, the north is really 60 degrees and above the geographical uh, <laughs> latitude, right, where we do have a lot of ecological problems, but we don't address that. We don't talk about, you know, the contested relations between the indigenous people and, and, and the French, you know, people we have in Quebec, that they have their own star system. So this kind of star system that we have, if we have any, is uh, is Anglophone, and it's in relation to America. And in the process, what we do, we do not tell the stories of, you know, those who do not speak English. So, for example, French or Indigenous uh, people, and also people from other countries as well. So this uh, mythic North is very interesting when it comes to constructing celebrity, Canadian celebrities. And, um, and, and Canada is not the only nation to construct celebrities in a national context for social, economic, and political reasons. Um, I mean, every country does it on some level, but Canada is the best example of using national symbols to the max. And when I talk about maple leaf, mounties, um, they're all either official symbols or unofficial symbols to represent Canada. And what we're doing in the process of constructing Canadian celebrities or reclaiming the actors that we you know, have in Hollywood is uh, we're doing nation branding. It's interesting to think about the different... Um, types of stories, especially because Canada claims to be such a, a melting pot, a multiculturalism. And I guess being in the industry, I know for myself, I have a couple of friends who have told me about either film festivals from here or their own businesses, their own film production companies that essentially specialize in segmented part of the audience, either friends who are from Quebec and talk about that, that French background that they have and make sure that it is ingrained in their work, or uh, another friend who his, his company is called Storistani and he I believe was born and raised here, but um, his background is, is Pakistani and he's still pushing to create more of those stories to exist here in Canada. But when you talk about the Great White North, and symbols like Mounties and, and Maple Leafs. They're not things that I would associate with these projects that they're creating. Would you say that there is a disconnectedness in the way that we try to find that cohesive story? On the one hand, saying that we are multicultural, but then when it comes to the practice and the creation of the projects, that there is still almost, it seems like there's this quarrel between how they fit together. Yeah, there is, uh, it is disconnected, you know, from the actual practices. So, you know, just like the celebrity, the nation is also constructed, and it's constructed through territories, and, and we have to maintain those territories. We have to construct them, we have to maintain them, and we have to particularly show how authentic it is, because in reality, it does not exist. So we constantly have to create mythic narratives to maintain these territorial boundaries because in nature, it doesn't exist. And so what we do, we tend to naturalize and legitimize. You know, when we use maple leaf, I mean, that is showing some sort of authenticity. We're doing it through nature, but really and truly, it's a cultural construction. So we constantly draw on landscapes and, you know, um, 
trees and leaves and snow and ice, you know, which we we consider Canadian, right? Uh, snow slash ice. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, talk about that when we represent Canadian celebrities in Canada. There's so many, you know. Um, when I did my case study and, you know, I, I looked at Canada's Walk of Fame and the representation of Canada's Walk of Fame, it would often associate it with snow, ice, you know. Um, but the reality is that compared to the actual north, we have a very short winter. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not always buried in snow, <laughs> right? And a lot of times it's slushy, and um, but and that's what we talk about. You know, like uh, how cold it is, how white it is, how snowy it is. I mean, um, there are a lot of uh, stories around that. Would you say that for a, a Canadian? entertainer such as ourselves or somebody who is in the realm of entertainment and is looking to build their brand build an awareness build a persona um, is it more difficult for somebody to achieve a high level status that to build a business in the entertainment industry in Canada versus the US yes yes and and for real reasons uh, first of all, uh, Canada has a very big geography, right? It's, it's huge. Compared to the geography, we have a very low population that we would consider as human resources, you know, to put in this laborious, you know, um, work uh, for um, entertainment. And we don't have uh, that many, you know, consumers as well, you know, who we would consider as fans. So from the very beginning, uh, we're at a loss. You know, we have a huge geography. Uh, we don't have, you know, uh, a very high population. So what happens is a lot of actors, they move to America because, just because of economics, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there are, there are a lot more human resources and cultural resources to support the actors. A lot of actors go. There's some actors who do become famous here and um, they probably use uh, Canadian symbols, you know. Um, they also use the help of the internet. And again, you know, they become international. You know, they're not necessarily limited to the nation. Mm -hmm. The nation, you know, the nation makes a profit out of, you know, um, reclaiming a lot of actors and singers in Canada, especially those who have been exported, they reclaim, and uh, that works for Canada. But for for the stars, I mean, it's it's really how international they can go. Would you say that that's changed a lot over the? course of uh, even just technological advances, the fact that we have the internet now, the way that somebody becomes a celebrity, is that, is that something that allows, say, a Canadian actor to overcome those barriers? Yes, yes, it helps. Um, you know, Justin Bieber, he became famous on YouTube, mm -hmm. and then for economic and cultural resources, um, he went to America, but uh, I guess he had a choice not to. Uh, you know, if you wanted to 
stick to Canada and use nation branding here and just be a Canadian star in Canada, that was a possibility too, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it really depends on the talent, what they're looking for and what's working for them and what's not working for them. Um, but yes, the internet does help. Um, there was another uh, reality TV show star that I looked at, uh, Maria Aragon. This is a long time ago. Um, yeah, she she became famous uh, through the internet as well. The internet can also serve to probably have some pretty negative psychological effects, I'd say, especially for those who are practicing in the realm of celebrity. Um, and especially talking about younger actors or uh, performers like Justin Bieber. I was having a conversation with my cousin yesterday about a Game of Thrones actor. I can't remember the actor's name, but he played jo- Joffrey, King Joffrey. Oh, the Yeah, I can't remember his name, but uh, apparently because his character, I'm not sure if you've seen the series before or know his character, but for those who may not have seen it, his character is uh, is vicious, just absolutely vicious. So he received, uh, and he was a great actor, he played it so well, but he received so much backlash um, from fans of the show who, I guess, essentially weren't able to fully disconnect the two ideas, the, the idea of this actor or the, his persona and the persona of this character, and received some pretty harsh messages that he apparently basically dropped out of acting for a little while or maybe took a break or I'm not sure what he did I, I don't follow him on any kind of social media but um, but to think about how the immediate audience reaction that can come back to a performer and affect their journey in their career on a very psychological level do you do any sort of study um, as far as that sort of depth goes for um, like a psychological study on a human like that? Yes, there are areas that look at uh, the psychology of celebrities and and what causes that and uh, there are a lot of case studies that that we do. Um, So it really depends on the expertise of, Mm -hmm. you know, the the academic or or the critic that's looking at that. But yes, there are are a lot of case studies. And um, I guess overall what we do understand is that um, there are a lot of pressures in fame, you know, there are a lot of pressures to conform, to deliver, um, and a lot of times, you know, there are a lot of like mythic stories uh, built around, you know, um, stars, like, you know, like when it comes to them going to rehab, a lot of times I'm questioning, are they really going to rehab, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, are they really on drugs? Because, um, you know, um, that creates a lot of tension and curiosity, you know, it's it's part of that mythic narrative of a celebrity. And what we're doing in the process is uh, we're, we're always creating this binary between their public life and their private life and that's what is operating the celebrity the success of a celebrity is dependent on this paradox between the ordinary in the personal life and the extraordinary in the public life that question is 
sorry, that paradox is raising questions on authenticity. How real is this celebrity? That's really what is driving the fans to consume the celebrity. And that question of authenticity is addressed by the ordinariness within that paradox. So, you know, when we talk about them going to rehab, them, you know, uh, taking drugs, you know, or them taking time off, uh, these are stories that are feeding that mythic narrative. I'm not saying that this does not happen at all. It does happen to them just like it happens to everybody else. What doesn't really help is, you know, everybody else, you know, who is, you know, um, feeling depressed because they can't become famous, you know. Or, you know, they're constantly being exposed to, um, you know, these narratives of drugs and, you know, just like shooting, you know, like how many people are killed. I mean, this has negative impact. So I think I'm, I'm more concerned about the public consuming these stories um, than being concerned about the celebrity, partly because the celebrity has a lot of financial resource to, you know, go through certain healing processes. And the other part of me is just wondering how real this story is. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because we are on the inside of the practice, and, um, you know, we get to hear stories from friends who have also been I guess you could say in the limelight and and what it's like to be on that side. Now, growing up, you know, I'm sure we we would have and have and still consider ourselves on the fan side for what even just Game of Thrones talking about a show that I'm absolutely a fan of. But watching watching the behavior of audiences and trying to understand this group effect, even just during TIFF, we were trying to get to a restaurant one night and I think it was the same night as Lady Gaga's uh, premiere with her film, and we couldn't even get through the sidewalks because there were screaming fans, there were hordes of screaming fans, a bunch of girls much younger than us, and and we were trying to figure out what was happening, which felt kind of foreign for us in a city that we're very used to, and we we know what TIFF also feels like, and it, it felt a little bit different, at least for me. I felt like it didn't feel like a, a TIFF movie. We've, we've gone to some of the movies and lined up, and it was a very over... It, it was an exaggerated feeling that I was experiencing trying to get through those crowds. Yeah. And I remember pointing it out, being like, I, did we ever... Have we ever done that? Have we ever lined up and, and been that excited that we were jumping and screaming and... and I can't remember being on that side, being that person, and I still don't fully understand how that mob mentality can actually bring those those actions about out of people. Because I don't think that they. I, I think if they, if they were alone, if it was just one, if I think of one of those twelve-year-old girls on the sidewalk that we saw that night, if she were alone and she came face-to-face with Lady Gaga or whoever was her dream celebrity, I can't see one person doing that, screaming in front of this person's face, of this celebrity's face. Do you, do you have any opinion of, as to why that, that happens when 
all of these fans get together and go out into a public sphere. And and why they scream. Yeah, how does it get to that level? <laughs> yeah, it's, again, I mean, it's because of the media construction that, you know, Lady Gaga has. And um, coincidentally, I just watched her documentary last night. Really? Lady Gaga, five foot two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I watched it. Have you watched that? Yeah. I haven't seen it. You've okay. seen it? I did, yeah. It's good. Yeah. And, Very wrong. Yeah, it's it's well done, and uh, you know it, it it does talk about um, stress and anxiety, especially you know with the physical challenge that she has right now. Um, I'm not saying that this does not happen or cannot happen. On the contrary, you know it is highly likely to happen to celebrities. Um, but what concerns me is how it's sensationalized, how it's objectified, how fans end up consuming that, and, and the impact that it has on the greater public. What kind of message are we passing on to them? I think we should focus on hard work, we should focus on wellness and kindness, and, and Lady Gaga has a foundation, the Born This Way Foundation, that looks at uh, wellness and kindness for the younger generation. I think that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, uh, that's very important, especially in a celebrity culture that we live in. Um, that's extremely important, you know, at least for ethical issues. Do you think that the majority of media that exists today has that same idea in mind when they go to construct their advertisement or their film? Do you think that that's something that gets considered before the output of media? Probably, but like, you know, other corporations, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> that's unfortunate. Right? They, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of studies done, you know, we do tons of studies and uh, it's all out there, you know, and we make it more and more available through conferences and public speaking and interviews and publications. It's, it's all out there. Um, but for reasons of profit and, and their lack of time, they probably don't consider. So, you know, it's, it's like this machine that they're running and celebrities, whether they want or not, are acting like machines as well. And sometimes, you know, these narratives are working for them and um, sometimes they don't. Kind of brings it back full circle to the idea that um, you first called it a service industry. Being actors, we are servers. We are service to a story, we're service to a project. Um, There is still very little depending on the person and depending on the project, for the most part, my assumption is that actors don't have the full control of being able to ensure that whatever role they're playing or celebrity they're becoming, that text that is being built around their persona and their existence, being able to make sure that it aligns with a safe message for um, the possibility of a better future, of a of safer future for those who are consuming these messages. Because a lot of the time we're handed scripts and you get this one character that fits into the broader scope of a story that you didn't write, that you're not producing, that sometimes if you do challenge it too much and, and want to make sure that it has different or whatever values you're bringing to it, can sometimes cost you the role and have you pushed out of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so we're still servers in that sense. Yes, and I think uh, now because of the internet, we can have our own social media accounts, and you know we could have our own stories. Um, I think we could always count on that, and um, you know not necessarily identify with the role that we're playing. Mm -hmm. But um, I think, you know, when it comes to role playing, it's not just limited to the entertainment industry. I think, you know, um, everybody out there who's playing a role, you know, uh, the role of a wife or role of a teacher or role of, you know, a government official, they're all playing roles. So I think what we have to, you know, be conscious of is that role that we are playing and why we're playing and and what are our values I think at the end of the day the value is very important and that's why you know we are we are acknowledging celebrity activists more and more right it's because of ethical values and you know activism just like the cause that you know they are fighting for it's not perfect you know it's because of various social political cultural conditions that we have issues the issues are not perfect, and and the celebrity activists, they're not perfect either, you know, but I think we all have a voice, you know, and every voice counts mm -hmm. in mobilizing public opinion. So that's why, you know, we're focusing more and more on celebrity activism to restore ethical issues that are being lost in the process of constructing the celebrity. Mm -hmm. and. Um, at the end of the day, it's really about well-being, it's about care, it's about kindness, and um, I strongly believe that, you know, most of us who are, you know, public personalities, celebrities, we do have that element, and we do, don't have to be subjected, you know, to object, objectification and just being sensationalized. Right. Well... As far as voices go, you've been a very valuable voice for joining us on our podcast. So thank you so much again for joining us today. Oh, uh, I'm honored to be here. <laughs> if our audience members want to find out more information about what you're working on and what you're doing right now, where can they go? Um, they can go on our website. The, the Center for Media and Celebrity Studies is available at www.cmc-center.com. And my personal website is www.samitanandi.com and uh, they can contact um, my, my representatives there. Wonderful. Awesome. And we're back with Sniffles McSnifflesen in the studio. <laughs> um, I know that we ended off on this idea uh, with voices and using your voice to affect some sort of change when it comes to the ideas of objectification and how and how to overturn sensationalism that is so prevalent. And it made me think about this other part of the exact same NPR episode I was talking about earlier before we hopped into the conversation about getting rid of painful memories, still on the idea of um, manipulating memory and one of the other guest speakers from this episode, guys, literally my one cool thing is just another podcast episode from TED Talk. It's a cool TED Talk uh, on manipulation. But one of the other talkers was referencing, what's that movie with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet? Endless spot, spot, Sunshine? 
Eternal sunshine of the, no. Yeah, eternal sunshine, uh, eternal bliss of the sun. Okay, so there's a that movie, <laughs> and it's sunny, and it's eternal, it's eternal eternally sunshine, sunny. spotless mind. Spotless mind. And... <laughs> We're um, actors. Guys, clearly my memory is, it's serving something else. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Thank you. Bam. Okay, so it made me think of, again, another part of that same podcast I was talking about earlier in the studio. Um, <laughs> one of the speakers was Fleming himself over the film Eternal... Was it called? Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Thank you. And how that sort of technology to be able to erase your memories, it actually sort of exists these days. Maybe not exactly how it is presented in the film, but to be able to erase painful memories so that they are no longer part of your psyche, I still think that they're going to fucking be down there somewhere on the oh, bottom yeah. bookshelf. But that idea of, of being able to actually manipulate your own mind or uh, manipulate somebody else's mind, such a scary thought. It's already happening like we were talking about before. Big businesses do manipulate us. We literally live our lives in a very different way these days. But there is a drug that I've been researching. It's a beta blocker from this episode called propranolol. And apparently it actually has the effect of erasing. It can go in and essentially erase memories for you. And it's used... I know that I'm simplifying its description, but I'll put links to the episode so you can actually, you know, hear a professional talk about it, a real scientist break it down for you. But it's used for people who are dealing with things like PTSD. PTSD. Yeah, exactly. PTSD and, and being able to move forward with their lives without these traumatic memories. So that episode is going to be my one cool thing that I will link to you. Well, going on with manipulation, how about manifesting? Um, I want to understand myself better and my brain and how everything works. And I read, I'm just finished this book by Mike Dooley called Manifesting Change. And it's almost just manipulating your own brain to better your life or change things in your life. It's quite... Through meditation or mindfulness um mindfulness and i guess well it does say meditating is good but it's just has something about it changed your everyday practice do you have a new is there like an exercise from it that you do on a regular basis now there's one that's really funny it's kind of like role-playing of how you like of course you would love that one i know right (laughs) of like how you want your life to be so you For instance, he and his mother and brother would do it in a sense of, oh, I just got a call from Steven Spielberg today. He wants me to get on his private jet and we're going to be going to Hawaii and hanging out with Johnny Depp and Christina Applegate. I don't know where those names came from. Those are the names I thought of. Anyway, so like they have this play about, they play on each other. Like, oh yeah, I won't be able to make it this week because I'm going to be with um, Captain Zeta-Jones in the African jungle finding white rhinos and like they just play off these like dreams that they have and that they want to become reality and it's just saying that when pretty much what I got out of it is you throw out to the universe what you want to receive so you you speak positive you think positively you act positively and then it comes in return it takes time one of my favorite sayings is 
everything comes in time or inshallah means God willing, it will happen when it's supposed to. And I think when out, out of that book is you just have to manifest your own life, your own story, your own dreams. Tanya, I would love to continue this conversation, but I'm late for a date with Garrett Hedlund. So yeah, I got to go see Zac Efron anyway. So uh, Zac Efron? Right. <laughs> really? I don't know. I have learned so much about you. And um, I love how like probably what like half our audience, I want to say, well, I was being generous with that. Half our audience members know who Garrett, do you know who Garrett Hedlund is? Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> well, I know what my one cool thing is for next episode. As for today's episode, I say that's all the cat wrote. Yeah. Have a fun night, y'all. Be safe. <coughs> oh, baby needs his bath. Gross. And a Kleenex. Ciao. <laughs>